Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. We're back with another dose of Kelsey content. I am Casey Evans, I am your host here, and I'm joined, as always, by Danny Corcoran. How are you doing, Danny? I'm good, thanks, Casey. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. It's, it's actually nice and sunny in Manchester for once, so I'm actually enjoying the heat. I've got a t-shirt on, I've got shorts on, shorts, weather and all that. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to introduce our guest this week. He is the chief editor of Get Italian Football News, Costa Pandi. How are you doing today, Costa? Pretty good. I mean, good time to be in a Serie A podcast as well. I mean, been, I used to play for times like these, as that famous meme says, uh, what is it? Uh, I will love it and I think I deserve it, stuff like that. So this is probably it, uh, recording a Serie A podcast after, you know, Serie A teams are in Champions League semi-final and one will be in a final as well. So yeah, pretty good to be here. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good time for Serie A because obviously the football is going well. There's a little things happening under, behind the scenes which aren't as great. But I think in general, the, uh, the general push is Italian football is actually doing well again and it's kind of getting a lot of global attention. So, yeah, it's a good time to do a Serie A podcast and we do love it and we do deserve it. So, as always, we like to just start off with a little roundup. We won't go too much into the league stuff this week because I think the Champions League stuff is the main thing. Obviously, Inter and AC Milan are both through to the Champions League semi-final, which means that there will be an Italian team in the Champions League final this season. I just want to get your thoughts, because obviously, as we're recording that, that kind of got confirmed last night. How do you feel about that? I mean, honestly, I didn't quite expect it, because I sort of, when the draws actually came out, I thought, this is probably Benfica's game, considering how bad Inter were in Serie A, and considering how they barely managed to sneak past Porto in, in the round of 16. Porto hit the post twice in stoppage time as well, which... I thought was quite unlucky for them. So I wasn't quite optimistic about Inter going through. Uh, and considering how good Roger Schmidt's Benfica have been, I thought this is their game. And I mean, the general consensus for the Milan-Napoli game was that this is Napoli's game. And But, but that was before the international break came in and Victor Simon got injured. So I thought this is quite a feast for all of us because in a way, I think a vast majority of us didn't quite expect it. I mean, I didn't expect it. I thought it's probably going to be Napoli against Benfica. I, th- I mean, all of us tweeted it that this is going to be the sort of game that we've been waiting for since the group stages, that Benfica were one of the best teams in the group stages in terms of their numbers and the fact that they uh, topped their group, I think, in their Champions League group, and Napoli blew Liverpool away, and we know what they've been doing in the league as well. So I thought that was going to be it. That's, it's going to be a Napoli-Benfica thing where, you know, Roger Schmidt's going to be... This, I mean, I used to be a massive Roger Schmidt ad- admirer about seven, eight years ago, and to see him play a, a you know, his team play a quarterfinal in the Champions League, that was pretty good to see. I wanted him to play a semi-final as well. So that's probably that was probably one of my biases, but that's a completely different thing. But yeah, to see an Italian uh, duo there, I mean, I don't think that's that's happened since 2005. That game where you know the images about for, of of the fans absolutely creating a ruckus of an atmosphere. So I think it's good for Italian football. I, I do think there's problems there. Uh, I mean, there's loads of problems there, be it in terms of the political involvements in sport, the bureaucratic involvements in sport, and the youth development, or the lack of it in Italian football in general. But I think it's a decent smokescreen, if anything, because it's it pretty much hides the problems, because Italy haven't qualified for the World Cup as well. I mean, the last time they might as well next time. 
but there are problems there but it's good to have an escape from all of those issues finally at least yeah i think obviously like the football all football hipsters cried the night that all football hipsters cried was the night that benfica and napoli were both confirmed to be out of the champions league because they were obviously the sort of darlings and they they, they deservedly so because they play some great football and i think one of the big things about even that first game for inter like the score barella's goal was the first shot on target they obviously then got the goal later on like it still looked like benfica could quite easily turn them over in that game and I think that it kind of, when you looked at it, I think that was probably one of the best performances I've seen, at least going forward from Inter all season. Did you agree with that? Because obviously, like, you had Lovtaro on foot, on fine form, Carrera even got in the scoring. It was kind of just a really, every single goal, everyone was like, wow, that's actually some great football being played there. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I mean, I tweeted that as well, saying that um, this is probably one of Barella's best performances of the season as well, because he's been sort of in and out in Serie A. I think he's probably been Inter's best player in the Champions League, by the way. Uh, I mean, there have been times when he's almost carried the team through, be it in the group stages or in these knockout stages. But I think the fact that Benfica actually wanted a goal did help them uh, because we know the way when Benfica play and especially when they got a goal back when uh, they made it 1-1, I think at the end of the first half or something like that. They started to come into the game a bit more. They got hold of possession much more. And I think Inter have always been a transition-based team. Whereas Simone Inzaghi has tried to impose a system where they're much more possession-based. Because that's what he usually likes. He's not quite done that to a massive extent. I mean, Inter have improved in possession as compared to how they were under Antonio Conte. But I've never thought that they've been perfect in possession. So I think playing in transitions has helped them in the game and in the league as well because there have been uh, games where Inter have played on the break and that's when their best performances come have come in and that they've had these issues and dilemmas about the front too. Um, Simone Inzaghi is constantly asked in press conferences about who's your preferred front two and all of that which are pretty pointless questions to ask, to ask an Inter manager because he's probably going to give you a diplomatic answer anyway. So... He constantly has these dilemmas about who to play and Martinez constantly plays there. It's always about who plays alongside him and I think not having Lukaku there is good this season because they've not scored a goal from open play when they've played together which is a shocking start considering the fact that the duo under Antonio Conte was a completely different gravy in Europe across all competitions. So I think playing on the break helps Inter a lot under Inzaghi because I don't think they've become a possession-based team yet. And the fact that Benfica actually got a goal uh, and they wanted to push forward and dominate possession. Although that period about lasted 15 minutes or something and Benfica couldn't score after that. They only scored after Inter scored twice. But I think that definitely helped Inter. And a lot of their performances have... A lot of their performances going forward have been in transition as well. They've not been when they've dominated possession, which is an issue. But I expect Gonzaghi to leave anyway, so... That's the next manager is going to start from a clean slate. Yeah, we'll probably get into that a bit later on in the podcast. But I think obviously the next manager is going to have a clean slate, as you said, because I think there's going to be a bit of a turnover of players. I think there's certain players that are kind of, if you want to play for possession football, you can't really start Denzel Dumfries on the wing when he's a guy who likes to crash into the box. And I think obviously that is also hasn't been helped by the fact that Brazovic has kind of declined a bit this season. I think he played; it was one of his best games, like in ages last last night when last in terms of how he played but he can't really play possession based game when your best possession based player 
he's kind of on his way out. Um, but I, I just kind of want to finish that this sort of point off with something that I've seen you got very annoyed on about on Twitter. A lot of things have been going around recently about this this heritage. Obviously, it's the heritage semi-final. It's both Milan teams going to the San Siro for back-to-back clashes to try and get into the Champions League final. A lot of people have been saying this is the last game at the San Siro, obviously because both teams have kind of looked for new stadiums and kind of looking to move out of the San Siro and build their own thing because of, as we've already mentioned, bureaucracy and politics and sort of everything behind the scenes. So do you want to just set the record straight on that one before we move on? I mean, I can set the record straight, but the but the problem there is I know what's going on. And I don't think the authorities even know what's going on. I, I don't think the clubs know what's going on because they have these... Uh, meetings about once a month with the the uh, mayor of Milan, and they constantly end up with the same PR line where they come up with the fact that uh, Milan are probably looking at their new stadium, and Inter are still thinking about it, and they don't know what to do with the San Siro anymore uh, because we are sure that the San Siro will not be the stadium where Inter and Milan play their games about five, six years down the line. But we're still not sure about whether it's going to be dismantled or whether it's going to be used for something else. Or I mean, it's it's a mess. And, and I think that's where Italian football's biggest issue is. Because apart from Juventus and to an extent Fiorentina these days, no club in Serie A has managed to smoothen out, I mean come across uh, stadium issues without facing any issues, without any problems around bureaucracy or politics, because Fiorentina had to wait for about three years. And I think three years might might be an understatement because things might have been going on in the background as well. Fiorentina had to wait for three years to get permission for the new stadiums and the new training centre. And when it comes to the Milan clubs, we've all, we've, we're just uh, about less than two years in. So I think we still need to wait for a couple of years in it from Italian standards to be fully sure about where this is going. Because, I mean, it was reported about a couple of years ago, I mean, uh, an year and a half ago, where they said that the, 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 the San Siro is going to get dismantled. But since then, there have been weird developments. Milan have stated that we'll have a stadium of our own elsewhere. And Inter have then said, we are thinking about it. But there's been no progress at all in that regard. And, and I think the issue is going to get complicated further. I mean... Yeah, for, for the context of the listeners in general, of what Costa is trying to say is like, in, in Italian football, a lot of the stadiums are owned by the, the governments. The problem is, is the whole thing is the governments get a lot of money, or the in, individual governments for each city get a lot of money off owning these stadiums because the major clubs play there. The problem is if you want to then build an own stadium for you to own, you need to then get planning permission off said government to build a new stadium. So it kind of just ends up in this big mess of, well, yeah, we might allow you, but you need to pay us a bit of money to do that. And clubs don't want to do that because they get overpaid. Because it, It's a mess in general. That's the, the very simple part. Um, but moving on from the Champions League stuff, moving on just away from back away from Inter again before we get back to that for the main part of this podcast, because this is an Inter podcast, I don't think I said that, which I probably should have done. Uh, we'll just talk about, because as of recording, the Champions League fixtures have gone, but we still got the Europa League and the Conference League fixtures. Now, Danny, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I think the Conference League fixture is a little less important because that's probably done with, with Fiorentina being 4-1 up. But I think Roma and Juventus have a really... Uh, these games are really pivotal, pivotal for them. 
Yeah, so Roma are 1-0 down from the first leg against Feyenoord. So that's it, the Stadio Olimpico back in Rome. I feel like you'd maybe have taken that if you were Mourinho before the first leg. Feyenoord are extremely attacking. And if you watched that game back, Feyenoord had a lot of chances and could have probably scored again. So we'll see. It depends on the fitness of a few Roma players. I know Dybala went off injured last week. But they had a very good game against Udinese at the weekend. Uh, they won 3-0. Abraham scored again finally after I think he'd gone about seven games without a goal. That's finally po- poised as is uh, Juventus Sporting. So Sporting have are a goal down but are back in Portugal. I think I have no idea how Juve won that first leg 1-0. There was a few wonder saves at the end from Perrin after Chesney had gone off with heart palpitations. But he's fine thankfully. So yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Sporting went through in that one, and I also wouldn't be surprised if it was the most boring nil-nil you've ever seen in your life because Allegri will try and make it that way. I don't even think that's the most important event in Juventus's season that is today because obviously we'll find out about the fifteen points deduction and whether that appeal was successful. Yeah, we were just we were just going to touch on that appeal because obviously that'll have a big bearing on Juventus's season because. At the moment, Europa League is looking like they're only waiting unless they manage to sneak that top four place. I'm not sure how it'll work out, but we because we discussed that last week. So if you haven't listened to that pod, we talked about the top four race and whether Juve will slip into it at the um, last week. But obviously, we hear the results of their appeal. Um, we know so far that they're allowed fans at the weekend against Napoli. And we know that they won't be stripped of any titles because the, <laughs> the club Maradona didn't get their way with that one. Um, but the rest of the verdict could have a massive bearing on this season because obviously if they get the 15 points overturned, that will put them third. And that'll mean that they basically are very well in for a Champions League spot at the end of the season. Uh, and that obviously means that the, that last spot becomes a bit of a scrap. Um, so what do you think of this, Costa? Uh, what, what do you think of the, the the case of if they get that 15 points back, what do you think the sort of reaction from other teams might be? What do you think the sort of... How how much do you think it'll be a dogfight for that last place in Champions League? I think considering the very fact that a lot of other clubs were also directly or indirectly involved in the case, but they were acquitted from it, and Juventus were the only one who were actually handed a points deduction and uh, the people who were involved were actually handed these bans, which includes Fabio Paratici, Andre Agnelli, Paul Nedved, Federico Cherubini and all these, the, the whole Juventus staff. But the fact that a lot of other clubs were actually involved in it as well, I don't think the clubs as corporations or as entities were gonna have, are going to have any issues with it because they themselves have been acquitted. But when it comes to fans, I mean, Twitter's going to be a mess. I mean, I'll probably love it because Serie A Twitter is completely uh, insane when it comes to Juventus cases and when Juventus are uh, Juventus actually get away with stuff or Juventus actually uh, uh, when legal goals get uh, chopped off when it comes to Juventus. But I think the fans are going to be mad, but I don't think the clubs will have any issue uh, unless unless uh, they end up citing the Prisma investigation as a completely different case. But again, when it comes to Prisma investigation as well, there's like, it's a completely different abyss altogether because there's other clubs involved in it as well. And I don't think 
clubs should have a problem with it. Uh, but I think the fans, I mean, I will probably hate it because I don't, I'm not a Juventus fan. I hate Juventus. I want the club to go down. I want the club to uh, <laughs> to get a wind-up order as soon as possible and stuff like that. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's going to be the sort of event in Italian football which will say a lot about it. I mean, we touched upon it some minutes ago that, that uh, we have these political figures in it where uh, there's involvements from these higher authorities, from these higher structures where you can't even predict um, how cases like these can be dealt with. I mean, these, these there's too many grey areas there. As we know from that uh, stadium closure thing where FIGC said, we'll close the, close the stands after the Romelu Lukaku abuse. But then Juventus appealed against it and there'll be allowed fans for the stands for the Napoli game, which is quite unheard of. And that's not how you send out a message when it comes to racism, which Serie A honestly have, don't really care about. We've seen that before. I mean, even if they try, they constantly fail at it. But, I mean, it's going to be a massive moment in Italian football. Be it when it comes, be it if the 15 points get upheld or even if the points reduction get, get scrapped. Yeah, Syria's approach to uh, racism and stuff like that is very uh, uh, fair weather and sort of like, oh, we'll, we'll do something. And then immediately someone complains. It's like, oh, no, 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 we won't do that. Actually, we're, we're fine. It's, fine. it's all okay. It's all good. We'll go and make some really bad imagery about how there's no racism in Syria football that's really not great. On the point, Danny, of whether whether you think that Juventus' ban should be upheld or whether, how, what you'd like to happen to Juventus, what do you say, knowing that you don't, definitely won't get in trouble with your girlfriend if you say anything negative? No comment. <laughs> I just, I'll kind of pivot and I'll say like, it's mad for the top four race if this 15 points comes back to Juventus because you've got, instead of basically four teams, Roma, Milan, Inter, Atalanta fighting for two places, you've got them fighting for one place. Like, it and... There's so many ramifications for for these clubs if they don't get Champions League next year. Like you think Roma, Mourinho's already been linked back to PSG and to other jobs. Is he going to stick around if in the second year of his project they're not in the Champions League where he could get more money from somewhere else? Maybe not. And then that's a whole new cycle for Roma. Inter financially probably need Champions League football to stick to a few players. Milan's targets kind of shift I don't think Atalanta will expect to finish fourth but they have Roma this weekend so if they win they think they go they would go above Inter maybe just below points with Milan so they're still in with a shout and obviously for that club like any season they finish in the Champions League is just like a dream so yeah I, obviously Kelsey said that there, there won't be complaints from the from the owners or the, the higher ups in these clubs but on Twitter, it will be a it'll be a shit show. <laughs> it'll just be people flinging insults and all sorts at different places. So that'll be fun. So maybe I want to see it come back just for that. Are you saying that football Twitter won't be a warm and comforting environment for everyone involved? Possibly not. Okay, so that's uh, that's probably the last we're going to say on Juventus for now. And we're going to get on to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, which is going to be Inter Milan. It's not been a good season for Inter, I don't think. Obviously, I think I think to put it in perspective, they can still get Champions League football, so it's not an absolutely catastrophic season, but it's probably not where they wanted to be at the start. They probably thought they were going to be challenging again. 
uh, or at least in the sort of conversation. So far this season, they have played uh, 30 games. They've won 16. They've only drawn three, and then they've lost 11. So it's kind of like they don't have a middle ground into the either they either win or they lose. They just, that, that sounds like a, such a Michael Owen comment to make, but yeah, there's not there's not like the sort of they don't sort of like have edgy games. It's like oh, we're going home with three points, or we're going home with none. There is no middle. So yeah, and in terms of the last five games, they have lost four, drawn. It's kind of been a really bad end to the season, especially in the league. But we'll just talk about the season in general. Do you do you think that the fans will be incredibly disappointed, or do you think that they'll just be happy at the end of the season to get a Champions League spot with everything that's happened? I honestly think they should be pretty satisfied if they get a top four because I I, th- I think this inter squad's not great, especially the fullbacks. I know none of us are Denzel Dumfries fans at all, but as good as Federico De Marco is, he's absolutely horrible defensively. Raúl Balanova's moves ha- hasn't worked out. I mean, I'm a massive Matteo Damian fan, but I think his future lies at the right centre back role, and I don't think Inter have the sort of fullbacks and we know Robin Gosens has been in and out of the team and he's had these issues with his uh, injuries and with his own uh, physical attributes and stuff like that so I don't think Inter's fullback situation is great they need at least a couple of them more in that squad Brozovic's fallen off a cliff uh, we saw that yesterday uh, Galliadini, you know he's been borderline useless for a while now Chalanoglu has been used in a deeper role, but that's not his role as good as he's been in that role. Barella, as, as, as we pointed to, he's been you know on and off here and there in Serie A. So I think there's a fair amount of issues in that squad. And when Inzaghi was actually appointed as a replacement to Antonio Conte, I think he, in hindsight, I think considering how Inter's financial issues have stayed and have maybe grown as well, I think... Inzaghi was always meant to be the transitional manager where we knew that he's overperformed to quite an extent with the Lazio team without having too much team depth or without having uh, that star quality apart from a couple of obvious names. He took them to Champions League football, played the same formation, 3-5-2, similar to what Conte did. I always thought he's going to be the transitional manager who will be asked to do the bare minimum, which is the top four, with a very limited squad with, and with a squad which isn't as great as the one that Conte had. Because Inzaghi has been the sort of manager who makes do with what he has. He's not the one to complain in public like Conte does or even Maurizio Sarri is at Lazio. Um, so I think considering how Inter's squad is and where they are in their history as a whole, that we know that uh, the the club could be sold in the next few months or uh, the next year or so, and that they are in a substantial amount of debt as well. So I think a top four finish, considering all of that, considering that they finished second and they they were the champions a couple of seasons ago, if we forget about that and focus on where they are, where they are financially and where they are in terms of, you know, their history as such, financially, the way their ownership's behaving, the way they're... Because there's a lawsuit against the Zhang family, which has been filed in China, and that's been contested in court, and that's that's happening this week. So considering all of that and considering that the Zhang family is not interested too much in putting too much money into the club, I think it should be a fairly decent achievement as well. And I think... Inzaghi should be pretty satisfied with it. I mean, I'm not sure about the fans because the fans are more into, you know, looking at um, what's happening with 
what's happening with context to the league wins and their second place finishes and all of that but considering everything the considering where inter are as a club in 2023 top 4 will be a pretty decent finish and the consider considering the fact that since they are in the champions league semi finals they'll probably earn about 80 million from being there which is a massive amount for a club like inter so considering all of that and i know champions league football doesn't exactly point towards how you've coached a team because that's your progress in serie a determines that not your progress in the champions league but still for where inter are and their finances i think champions league semi finals are quite an achievement and top four should be fine but i mean that's me speaking from an unbiased point of view if you ask an inter fan he's probably going to say he or she is probably going to say we should be higher up than fifth but there's still a while to go i mean i don't expect inter to finish in the top four by the way but if they do i mean there's nothing better than that at this point because they won a trophy already they are still in the coppa italia as well so it's been an okay season come looking at where they are as a club in 2023 yeah i think in terms of if they are looking at champions league they're probably one of the only like that if we're saying clubs that don't want juventus to get 15 points back it's kind of like yeah because i don't even think they'll finish top 4 in the current state they're in they're not in good form I always said I said this at the very start of this podcast when we were talking about the league and going for the team. I watch into and I just don't know it, like you watch them and it's kind of a hard thing to explain because you don't know how they play football. It's probably the way to say it. You don't know how they defend, you don't know how they move the ball at the pitch, you don't know where they score from. It's just a very disjointed team and the fact that they've got this far in the Champions League and the fact that they've won a trophy and the fact that they're even in the fifth in the league is shocking to me because I think one of the big things that we've talked about especially and uh, Daniel probably backed me up here is their their striking situation is horrific in terms of they they yeah they have a 16 goal striker in Lautaro Martinez but he is very streaky and he does have these massive spells where he doesn't score and then the other striker is just an absolute mess in terms of Lukaku's not really hit the ground running or he's not even hit the ground running he's just kind of hit the ground he's not i don't think he's even hit the ground he's just floating along just he exists i was about to ask danny a question but he burst out laughing on that one <laughs> he enjoyed that one go on ask me the question <laughs> didn't enjoy that yeah i think the thing with lotta uh, sorry with um, lukaku is this loan spell is definitely not worked out in any way shape or form and i think the only good thing that inter probably have from it is they didn't add an obligation to buy at the end of it yeah when uh, the whole lukaku thing is wild because like obviously he begged to go back to Chelsea and then within like three months he did that interview where he was like maybe I should not have done this and then he's obviously ended up back on loan at Inter who got like this unreal deal to they didn't have an obligation to to get him and they but like three four months before the season's even ended they're like we're definitely not signing you like that's an indictment of how it's gone I think he's got like he's played like a thousand minutes. He's obviously had a few injury issues and whatnot, but he's only got three goals. I don't think any are from open play. Whatever Conte managed, whatever tune Conte managed to get out of Lautaro and and Lukaku and Zaghi definitely has not. There's n- there's n- when you watched them th- those few years ago, it was almost telepathic and they just like bounce and vibe off each other. They do not do this this time around. Maybe it's not them maybe it's how the team functions as a whole it doesn't suit it but yeah i mean when 
35, 36-year-old Jekyll is, is favoured over you, uh, who has fallen off a cliff as well, just because of age and like that happens, it's fine. It's not a good look on, on a striker that was meant to be top three in the world or a striker that's meant to be in the prime of his career. It's just, it's all gone wrong for Lukaku in the past few years. Yeah, I think with Lukaku, one of the big things is, I think Conte's focus on fitness probably helped Lukaku a lot. Like his general gist of, I will run you into the ground until you're physically fit enough to run for as long as I need you to, probably really helped Lukaku because I think when he's in situations where he's just kind of, oh, just be match fit and just be like general fitness, he has he has occasionally, obviously there were pictures at United where he's overweight, there's pictures at Chelsea where he's overweight in terms of where he should be. And that's sometimes to do with injury. But yeah, it is a really sad story because I think he obviously he obviously has never really felt wanted anywhere, I think is probably one of the big things with him. Like, he obviously left Belgium, that may be about the last time, but Chelsea definitely wasn't wanted to be him with. Then he went to uh, Everton, I think he might have been wanted there, but then they there was always kind of like the understanding with Everton that at some point they will definitely sell him for a loss of money. Like, they were just basically waiting for the point where that would happen. United, he never really settled in. Uh, Inter Milan, he only had the season. Uh, and then Chelsea, he didn't set back in. So he's just kind of like... he just. I just feel like someone just needs to give him a hug in general. He just seems like... He, he, sounds like such a, he seems like obviously just such a chill guy <laughs> that just wants to play football. <laughs> he probably... Sh- like, I think it was... If he'd have stayed at Inter and not gone back to Chelsea, it might have gone like a bit better for him. Because he, he, he constantly talked about how like he felt like he was at home in Milan. He loved Serie A, he loved playing for Inter, like this huge club. And then it all seemed to be going so well for him. And then he decided to be like, oh, let's go back to Chelsea. Like like someone living their life and going back to their toxic ex. Like, it's not going to work for you. I don't know why you did that. He had like one good game against Arsenal when he first came back and then it just never happened again so i constantly go back to a report which came out at la gazette at sport about i think earlier this season i think this was after inter's 2-2 draw against monza which was probably lukaku's worst game i've ever seen and that's that's saying something because lukaku's had some absolutely stinking games i remember that united game against southampton where we still have footages of his Absolutely horrendous first touch. But I think Monza tops that. That 2-2 draw against Monza tops that. And he actually played only 15 minutes in that game, weirdly enough. And the report which came out at that point said that um, Lukaku's fitness is so bad that he actually takes 10 minutes more to get warmed up uh, than the uh, the rest of the inter-squad. And if he's coming off the bench, he needs extra massages on his thighs to play at least say, 15 or 20 minutes of first-team football on the pitch in a game, in a Serie A game or a Champions League game. And that's that's the extent to which his fitness has fallen to. And you can see that, um, I mean, you can make a fair guess of that because uh, Beppe Marotta talk, spoke about it, saying that he's overweight and uh, an hour later, Lukaku actually scores a big goal for them, which is a completely different kid. And in Italian football, we're massive fans of smoke screens. And that was a massive smokescreen itself because I don't think things have changed too much. But Inter are not signing him permanently. Reports are saying that, I mean, I think Inter themselves should com- confirm that soon. I think Marotta should speak about it soon enough. But I think the Inter should be fine without him because I, I don't think they had planned the move as such because he was a Conte signing 
and he was a conte player and there's there's like two different those are like two different things he was never i mean he thought about it as if he's an inter player but he was a conte player all along because conte wanted him uh, at chelsea conte wanted him in inter he was desperate for it he was there's there's reports in italy still saying that he could have conte could have resigned if he couldn't have signed romelu lukaku that summer from united so that itself says that inter could never really figure that part out be it in terms of the way conte used him in those half spaces and making sure that he receives the ball in those half spaces and he absolutely tore left sided defenders apart the best of left sided defenders apart that includes igor at fiorentina that includes romagnoli at when he was at milan and you can come across, and i think he tore apart francesco cebi as well when he was at lazio and these are some of the best left footed left sided center backs in italian football but inzaghi's used him in a completely different way uh, where he's closer towards the center of the box towards uh, the right side of the left sided center back which is a completely different role for him and that's pretty much why he sort of failed at chelsea as well so i don't think inter going to going to worry too much it seems as if they will probably end up signing matteo retegi who we know impressed quite a lot on international duty for uh, for the national team um they have a host of names on their shortlist and i think retegi is someone who they like quite a lot and considering that lukaku actually cost them about 20 million for a single loan for a one year loan deal um i think retegi is going to cost them about 15 million or something so he's going to be cheaper than lukaku he's going to earn lesser than lukaku and he's going to be younger than lukaku as well and he seems like a decent player as well uh, although quite similar to lotaro martinez but that's a completely different case because inter will probably sign another striker as well but when it comes to chelsea we don't know i mean uh chelsea don't have a striker there's still talk about chelsea keeping keeping talent tammy abraham as well i don't think that's going to happen but that's a completely different conversation altogether i think he should get another shot at chelsea i mean this is just me being a massive lukaku fan but it is what it is uh there's no there seems to be no interest in him at this point from other clubs unless someone pops in on deadline day or something and says that we want him or say everton come in for him Everton in the Premier League, by the way, not Championship Everton, which could well be the case next season. I hope not, but that's that's different. Uh, say Everton come in and say we want him on loan, <clears throat> and I think a Premier League side can actually afford a loan from him, which a Serie A top Serie A side can't. So I think that's that's pretty much it. And I somewhat want to see Lukaku at Chelsea for at least six months, and I'm 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 hoping it's Julian Nagelsmann, of course. The, the the manager at Chelsea because I think that's going to be a completely different that's going to unleash a different side to Lukaku because you know Nagelsmann's we talk about Nagelsmann as if he's um, a tactics first manager whereas he's closer to someone like Thomas Tuchel in terms of man management he knows how to um, get who who knows how to play players to their strengths instead of imposing a system on them. and i think lukaku might just benefit from that next season onwards it feels like there's two managers in lukaku's career that have got him and that's roberto martinez at everton and antonio conte at inter those are the two that have absolutely fine tuned him at because because both both realized that the old, the whole thing that you needed to do with lukaku was just not giving the ball as much as everyone else seems to want to do it because like as you said like we're playing him on the right hand side of the left side of defender like Tuchel did it 
and he was like, both of them were like, oh yeah, he's a big guy, he can hold the ball up well. It's like I think where Conte goes as well matters a lot in this case. I mean, because I think Conte gets a new club in the summer. And there was talk about the fact that he wanted Lukaku at Spurs, a, a rumour which never made sense to me. But that might be something we should keep an eye on as well for next summer. May I ask you that favour that I asked you before? <laughs> bring me bring me Lukaku. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think one of the big things about uh, into this season is, is when they won the title, they were very slick and moving past. And I think we've mentioned it, like they've tried to transition to a little bit more of a style of football that doesn't suit the players. And I think that some of the main moving parts that kind of knitted it all nicely together uh, haven't really worked. Like Brozovic has been dropping off a cliff, Bastoni's been injured. There's not really been the guy that's kind of linked well with Lotaro. I don't think their wing-backs have really factored into this at all. Um, is it just the case that it just hasn't knitted together? I think... Obviously, injuries has played a part, especially, like you mentioned, Bastoni is huge in possession as well as out of it, the way he can drive forward. And <laughs> and his passing is unbelievable. Like, I'm sure he assisted the goal, not, was it last night or the leg before? Um, and so him missing has been huge in possession. And then you've got like this mix of injuries hampering a team age sort of, playing a big factor in Brozovic and Jekyll, kind of their form falling off. And then there's just parts of the squad that doesn't work as well. So it's like this toxic cocktail where it's not going to work. So the wing-backs, you don't have good enough players in there. I don't know how to say it, but like Denzel Dumfries is... I just don't rate him very much. He's just sort of like this chaotic guy that will run forward and... He he is right sided Marcus Alonso. That's what he is. He's just he's the guy that just absolutely crashes into the box, and that's all he's good at. And then he forgets to track back, like <laughs> just in general. Yeah, and so like, and then with the guys that like do well, like Barella, like Chalinoglu have have been probably they've been hit or miss because of the rest of the team. I think like if you have a solid setup and if you have guys around them that are putting in like 7 out of 10 performances every week, you're setting up for them to succeed, but you're not. And Zaggy's team isn't setting up for them to succeed. It's it's just, it's too chaotic. There's not enough, there's not enough planning behind that squad. It just seems to be thrown at a wall. There's too many issues with it. Yeah. So like that, t- that squad's now obviously fifth. We, we spoke about that. They're on 51 points. They're two points off Milan, but that could easily change um, very quickly. We're looking at the running now. We mentioned it last week, but we st- I've got the list still up and I've a little marked it off. They played Monza at home and lost, which I did mention at the time. I was like, Monza will be a massive banana skin for these teams in this running. So The goal was also scored by their former Primavera captain, who had, I think, assisted in the 2-2 draw with Monza at the start of the season and scored the winner against them at the San Siro. Yeah, this it's just it's not it's not it's not pleasant, is it? It's not nice to think about. So next they've got Empoli away, then they've got Lazio at home, Hellas Verona away, Roma away, Sassuolo at home, Napoli away, Atalanta at home, Torino away. That's very hard, and this is why I think they're not going to end up. I, I think I said last week I don't think they'll even end up top six, maybe even top. I I think they'll drop. I think there's just too many, there's too many good teams in there that are much better put together and and much better thing and obviously like we've said they don't draw so they just lose or win 
And I don't think that there's too many teams in there that know how to just kind of grind out a result. The placement of their Champions League games is like the ones right after Roma away. So do they rest players away to Roma, which is like this massive game in the context of top four. Then they're at home to Sassuolo, who, and Sassuolo love to go to... It's more with Milan, but they love to go to the San Siro and put on a show. And they love to kind of upset the bigger teams. So those two games are placed very badly for for Inter because they'll be so crucial in, in trying to push for top four. And you'll probably, with an ageing squad, like we've said, you'll probably have to rest a few guys if you want to get a, a maximum intensity and performance against Milan in the Champions League. Yeah, they might have been let off with Napoli away because that might be the time that Napoli have actually won the title. So they might just be all like on a high, celebrating, drunk, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, they're doing it already, but the fact is I'm just slowly seeing that points gap to Lazio close and I'm like, oh my God, imagine. And I'm just like, this would just be the... I think I think whole of, whole of football Twitter would implode if that happened. Like, just Napoli just completely and utterly lost it. But I think now if man's back and fit, then it might be okay. Here comes Allegri music. 15 points back. Tito <laughs> I, I think I, I think that would be that would be me just giving up. I think this podcast would end. It'd just be like Casey couldn't join. It's just silence on the end of his mic. He's just done it. He's just left. He's gone home. He's a, he's actually in home, but he's just refusing to enter in the office to do the podcast. But yeah, looking at those last few games, do you think it's just it's just too much for them to overcome Costa? Yeah, I think also the fact that we don't know what's going to happen with Nzagi's future because there there is actually talk about the fact that. If Inter lose too many games or if Inter drop too many points, Inzaghi can, can, can get sacked right away. Uh, and Christian Kivo could actually take over on, on an interim basis. And he's actually doing a pretty decent job with the Primavera side. Uh, and that can actually happen as well. Because as we spoke, spoke about that, uh, we just don't know what to expect of them. And considering the fixtures at hand and that they have a Champions League game against Milan, which I think they can win, hot take. But it places a completely different sort of burden onto the team uh, and that they've had these injuries where <clears throat> those injuries have happened to the key players and they, as I said, they don't have a great squad anyway. So if, say, by luck of fortune, they manage to drop points in the next two games, I'm sure I'll see reports in the Italian media saying that he can go and that there will be talk about people like Diego Simeone, Sergio Consecao and Thiago Mota as well, who I think will be Inter's next manager if Inzaghi leaves. I mean, the permanent manager. So I think there's that point as well, because uh, I think their Serie A season is done, honestly. Uh, and the same could probably apply for Milan uh, and Napoli, because they've pretty much already seen the league anyway. And Lazio, because Lazio are second and I sort of expect them to stay there, which is a pretty decent achievement for them. Uh, and that they barely give two shits about Europe anyway. I mean, they played two European competitions, They've, they were just there. And Sari constantly complained about the fact that we don't have squad depth and all of that. And they, they're they focusing on Serie A. So I think it's probably just about three teams and one of them could be Juventus, uh, annoyingly enough. So I think, I don't think Inter have too much of a point in competing in the in 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 uh, in Serie A, and the fact that their fixtures, I, I honestly don't expect them to win against Sassuolo in any way because Sassuolo have always been the sort of team that 
play well against Inter, even if they don't always win. I mean, there have been times when Inter have been, say, 3-1 up against them and they've ended up winning 4-3. Oh, sorry, they've been 4-1 up and they've ended up winning 4-3 and they nearly equalised and made it 4-4. Sassuolo are that sort of team against Inter as well. I mean, against Milan, obviously, they always end up winning. Um, but Sassuolo have always troubled Inter. They've they troubled them when they were in the title race. They've troubled them when they've not been in title races. Uh, when I don't think they're winning against Roma. The Roma are going to uh, get a trademark 1-0 win just the way Jose likes. I mean, I don't see Inter playing, placing too much emphasis in Serie A at this point. Because firstly, I think they can beat... For me, they're the favourites to beat Milan in the semi-finals. And once they go past Milan... The finals are a one-game thing where, you know, I mean, obviously Inter are not going to win the final. We know that, but it's it's that unpredictability about one-off games that um, gives teams like Inter hope. Where I mean, it's given hope to teams like Sevilla in the past so many times. No disrespect to Sevilla because we know what's going to happen today. Sevilla against Man United, so uh, not not the best time to disrespect Sevilla today, uh, but. <laughs> They should probably just stick to the Champions League stuff and the Copa Italia stuff. And even if they finish fifth, as I said, should be fine. Uh, win two cups in one season, in, and considering the fact that Inzaghi won a trophy last season as well, I mean, just go with it and make sure that you start from a clean slate next season. Hire a new manager, get get a new squad in, get new fullbacks in first and foremost. Get a couple of midfielders in, sort out your front line, replace Milan Skriniar. And then restart with everything. Win a couple of trophies, get the finances from the Champions League sorted, eighty million or whatever, and then start again next season. That's that. That's what Inter should do now. Yeah, I think I think in just on the last point of that, I think that Hellas Verona fixture is luckily placed that it's way too close to a the actual Champions League match because I feel like if they lost that, that is embarrassing enough that you would be like, maybe Inzaghi needs to go. I think it's way too close to the Champions League game for them to make a massive change, especially when we've seen like, what Bayern trying to manufacture the new manager bounce against City and they got absolutely battered. So, Although I don't think Verona will probably be relegated by that point. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I think I think they're, they're, they're the ones that are kind of trying to claw the ways out. I think Sampdoria and Cremonense uh, uh, are both absolutely uh, shocking. So I think it's just Hell's Verona just going to be an absolute scrap for it. Right, so the final part of this podcast is going to be, and we kind of alluded to it throughout this entire podcast, is going to be talking about Inter's future. Because I think, as we've just said, this season, in terms of Serie A, is done. The Champions League will be whatever happens. Um, we do have some questions that we want to get to as well. But we'll just start talking about the future. So we've already mentioned the manager. Uh, Simone Inzaghi mentioned his transitional manager. Like it's not transitional in terms of his football, but transitional in terms of his state of play, in terms of the... Uh, where he stands in Inter's kind of future. You mentioned some options before. I think we, me and Danny have both kind of mentioned the the, the problem of everyone will be after Vincenzo Italiano at some point, but the names you mentioned, you've mentioned Motta, you've mentioned some others. What do you think is going to be the manager situation? Do you think it is just going to be clean slate, new project, new guy at the head? Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, that's what reports in Italy are saying. And I think Gianluca Di Marzio has also said that he will probably leave at the end of the season regardless of... I mean, unless Inter win the Champions League, which I don't think is going to happen. Unless they come up with an absolute miraculous 
season end run where they win the Champions League and end up finishing second, he's probably leaving. So we are pretty much saying that there's a 99.9% chance that he's going to leave Inter. And the fa- I think him leaving Inter is, pretty, is a pretty good option for the club because his contract runs out in 2024. So it's, 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 it's not as if his contract runs out in 2026 and they have to shell out about 15 or 20 million uh, euros to, uh, as a compensation to sack him. So I think it's a decent decision at this point because he's, he's not been... Uh, someone who's succeeding in imposing his ideology onto the team, which is which is fine considering the the sort of squad they have, but it seems as if Thiago Mata is someone who's been looked at a fair bit by Inter because he's a former player, he's been doing an excellent job with Bologna, and he's someone who's actually quite tactically versatile as well because there was. I mean, about a couple of years ago, there was talk about that 272 thing where it was looked at horizontally instead of vertically. And that's how the Italian media thought his formation actually worked. But uh, he's Mott has shown that he's someone who's actually really tactically flexible at all the clubs he's been to. But, but I think the fact that he's been to a lot of clubs so far and a lot of clubs that have been operating in the lower ends of Serie A he has to be tactically versatile to be um, managing those clubs because you can't come in at a club like Spezzi and say that I'm going to play my 4-3-3 and go on. Uh, I mean, Vincenzo Italiano did that, but he's 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 a completely different coach altogether. Um, Mata, someone who knows how to change systems, he's, he's really good at, um, you know, identifying problems on the pitch and solving them. And I think Inter would need that from next season onwards where um, they will have a newer squad and I think a younger squad as well. And they will over time move towards um, a more attacking approach, which is, I think, what Mota sort of wants to impose on a team, which we're seeing with Bologna these days. Um, but I think the other names that have been uh, banded about are, I think, Diego Simeone is one. But that's like a dreamlike scenario for, for Inter. There's Sergio Concecao. There's been reports about the fact that uh, there has been contact. but uh, And I think Concecao will be keen on managing Inter as well. But there, there's been nothing beyond that. And Mota seems like the clear favourite for that role. I mean, I know we're massive Vincenzo Italiano fans. But it seems like he'll probably stay at Fiorentina for another season. Um, and he has a contract till 2025. Um, there was talk about release clause before he signed a new deal and all of that, but I expect him to stay at Fiorentina for another season, and I think that that's natural progression for him as well. And I think for Inter, looks like Thiago Mata is the one, um, unless there's, I mean, Antonio Conte has obviously been linked, but the the question that Inter have with Conte is that this is the man who essentially betrayed us when we really wanted him. Um, and when we didn't have enough finances to keep some of the players around and this is the man who betrayed us and we are still not in a financially great situation, will he stick around for us in the long term? And that's that's why I think uh, Conte might not suit Inter. Although th- I, I do think there's a slight chance that Conte returns to Inter because Inter, as as we spoke, that because of the Champions League success and the progression they've made, 
they'll get those extra finances with them but will that will those finances be enough to meet conte's demands in the market or not that's a completely different case because you can afford conte with the money you get from the champions league uh, progression but will you be able to meet the demands that conte places when it comes to his own transfers so that's that's where my doubt is as well so i think thiago mota is the one and i'm all about the thiago mota train as well <clears throat> massive fan yeah, uh, we 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 both like the other ones. We were talked about him. I think uh, two episodes ago on here we had a we had an episode focused on the Almaty's Bologna and how good they've been this season and how he's been trying to implement his ideas. I think one of the big things that you mentioned with Conte was obviously will he get his players in and we we were talking we've been talking about this squad refresh and you look at the squad and it just seems like there's a lot that needs sorting. There's a lot of people aging out. You got your Brozovic's, you got your Jekos. Um I think even to a extent, Stefan Divridge is probably on his kind of last legs in terms of how important he was in the past for them. They're obviously already losing Skriniar on a free. And then we look at the sort of things of the financial injection they'll get from the Champions League will help massively, but they'll probably still need to sell some players. And one of the biggest assets they probably have is, and probably the biggest asset that they will be happy to get rid of and don't need to massively replace, as we really have given him a batter in this, this podcast, but Denzel Dumfries... They've been asking for forty million plus, and it seems like teams are actually interested in for that. I don't know why, but um, that's kind of their biggest financial thing that won't massively affect how they play and probably easily to replace. But other names have been obviously floated around. Obviously, Lautaro Martinez is one of the probably the biggest asset in terms of how much they could probably get for him. Barella has also been mentioned a couple of times, um, and Bastoni obviously in the past was wanted by Conte. At, Spurs, but I don't think he'll leave. But yeah, I think there's a massive refresh. And I was just thinking you, Danny, like, how do you think the outlook is going to be? Do you think they're going to, there probably is going to be a, a couple of sales and then they're going to focus more on you? Or do you think they're just going to make a, try and get some more of these bigger Italian stars? Like, Dzeko was kind of one of those guys that they got was who was really performing for another team and then brought in to do the job at Inter. How do you think their next transfer window is going to look? Yeah, I mean, I th- they obviously have to sell someone unless they win the Champions League, I think. But and that will probably likely be Dumfries. Um I think I think they've always done well as pick up older guys from Serie A teams. So like Jekyll was one, Kolarov was before that. Um they've just kinda of picked these guys up and they've still got they're old but they've still got gas and legs. So I don't expect them to move away from that too much, but I do want to see more of a shift to youth. Obviously, they signed Aslani uh, last summer from Empoli. He's not. He's only got about five hundred minutes in the league, but he's someone that should see increased game time. And picking up those sort of guys will be good. It just really is coach dependent. I think if you if you bring in Mota and say, okay, let's make this like a proper project. Let's let's have him shape his team. We'll give him patience. Then bring through the younger guys makes sense you're not automatically expected to win now whereas if you bring in a Simeone um, which I don't expect could ever happen just because of the finances I th- like he is the highest paid coach in the world I think and obviously Inter aren't the most financially sound so for as much as he's been linked to that job I don't think he's going to take the pay cut that will allow it you're automatically expected to win now you'll probably see guys from Atletico older guys come in so I think I would like to see them shift towards that youth project um, and then obviously on Kunsi so I think 
you'd need quite a lot of squad upheaval for him to suit. He like exclusively plays like a four four two or some sort of variation of that. And I do not want to watch DeMarco and Dumfries try and play fullback every week. That's not gonna work. So yeah, I think I think we'll see a mix. I don't think Inter will go down the route of a Milan where like there's this heavy focus on sort of different markets and picking up these guys and giving them time but I, th- I think there'll be a mix of youth and, and sort of these experienced guys they can pick up yeah I, I think obviously the, one of the big things is that we've mentioned uh, Mutter's obviously a bit more flexible but he does play a 4-3-3 there's a sort of the Contical 4-4-2 the Simeone's weird 5 at the back slash 4-4-2 slash just everyone defend for your lives and or I'll murder you um I think obviously Atletico. If Simeone went to Inter, you could just definitely see like him going straight back to Atletico and they're being like, "Yeah, all these guys that you bought and made into very Simeone players that don't fit anyone else's system, just go and get them." Like DePaul would probably be one of the bigger guys I think they'd go for, and all that sort of stuff. We have some questions. I think we we asked on Twitter. You sent in some of your questions, so we. We have some questions. I just need to go through a couple of them because I don't think you understood the questions that were meant to be answered. First off, Ritesh asked, potential of Benacer as a deep playmaker. He plays for the other one. <laughs> Sorry about it. He doesn't play for it. He plays for AC. Not if you're um, not if you're Jake Humphrey, who last night on BT Sport continuously <laughs> referred to Inter as Milan. Although he did create podcasts, so maybe we shouldn't. I mean, to be fair, on the other BT match, you had to refer to, people kept referring to Bayern as the Bratwurst Brigade, so I don't think you had much better on that end as well. And the next one we had was from Matthew Podcast Network. I we, we, we were laughing at this off camera. No, sorry about this, Matthew. Football player name association game was what he, and he wanted to know our thoughts on 14 players <laughs> as part of the question. Only one of them has played in the Serie A which is Ronaldo, and I'm not giving my thoughts about Ronaldo on a podcast because we could be here all day. Uh, and three of them, what I loved about it was there was 11 of them, and there's like Sadio Mane, Modric, Lewandowski, all your world-class names. And then the last three are just real Sociedad players. <laughs> so you had Silva, Zubamendi, and Osarabella, which I just found was very funny. But we can't really answer all of them. I'll tell you, a lot of them are pretty good. That's probably how we'll go with that one. So... In terms of Syria and general, I think this. I think most people took it as Syria just in general questions because obviously Benatar, deep playmaker, that's how he plays anyway. But you say, do you see a future where Napoli don't get stripped for parts this summer? And what happens? Do you see him bouncing back as a top four team? I think that's a sim- similar thing. Is like Napoli are kind of in the position where Inter aren't, where they have the abundance of resources where they could just go, we'll sell one guy, or we'll try and sell a couple, of, maybe one or two guys, and we'll be fine. I think obviously Inters is we'll sell one or two guys and then we're back to just building from scratch. I think they already have the team. So uh, we'll do that as a two-parter. If if let's do it this way, if Napoli gets stripped for parts this season, do you think they could still finish up Inter if if they were both put into the same situation as being in a rebuild? I think so, because I think I don't think Quaracelli is leaving. Um, he's probably going to stay. For the medium-ish term, I mean, I wouldn't say for the long term. That's that's a completely uh, outlandish thing because I think he will leave at some point. But for the medium-ish future, he's going to stay there at least for one season. I think Osimhen is probably leaving. Zielinski is leaving. 
uh, but apart from that i think kim might probably leave but apart from that i don't see too many changes in that team uh, but cons- since it's a question and we presume that kolarchelia leaves and we presume that uh, kim leaves and we also presume that lobotka leaves if we <laughs> i mean if we're presuming stuff i think uh, it seems as if cristiano juntoli will probably stay there for at least another season which tells me that um, their recruitment is going to be sound enough to replace what they've lost because he's the man who's been uh, pretty much um, i won't say single handedly because there's scouts uh, behind the scenes working pretty much every day uh, but he's been the man who constantly makes sure that even if napoli lose their talent they end up replacing them whereas the policy that inter have is based more on you know free agents because we have beppe marotta there who's the king of free agents signing free agents across uh, across european football uh, which is a decent policy to have especially this summer because i think there's a fair amount of free agents out there this summer i think roma are probably trying to make sure they sign 10 free agents in one go because they've already pretty much sealed Jose Mauá they could have probably signed Evan Indica from Eintracht Frankfurt so i think inter might sort of delve into the market as well for free agents and there's a fair amount of them out there and i think three of them are from inter themselves um but i think napoli i would still say that napoli would be in a, in in a much better spot if we are considering the fact that napoli lose everyone and inter are in a rebuild situation uh because it seems as if they've already identified a, a host of targets for all the players them and that might leave i'm not talking about coraccelia because napoli aren't even considering the fact that he's going to leave if zielinski leaves it's it seems as if tomatso tomatso baldanzi could replace him um and dombele is going back to spurs they're not signing him permanently so he will be part of that transition as well but i'm sure they've sorted that out they've got a list of five players for potential ossiman replacements and that includes uh, his countryman uh, victor bonifaz who plays for uh, san jose uh, uh, who are in who are in the quarter finals of the europa league i think so i think there's a list of targets napoli already have in place where at inter are still working and out working out who their manager is going to be but i think i would still say napoli uh, plus napoli are a better club financially as well at this point Yeah, I think there was a big case of like Napoli won. It's it was it was presumptuous because like it won't happen. De Laurentiis will let like one guy go, and then he'll basically like while earning just three million pounds, three million euros a season. That's it. That's pretty much it. That's that that's his rule. He respects contracts, and he makes sure that you don't earn more than three point five million euros a season, even if you even if you're starving or something. Yeah, and I, I probably pose a bit of this question to you: Is like on the rebuild, do you think that Inter will bounce back, Danny, or do you think that Inter will probably, as Carlos uh, said, maybe have to have a couple of years just kind of building themselves up? It depends what they do. Like, really, I know that's kind of, but like, they can either go down the sort of well, the word that gets used, but like the project route where you back a younger manager to. kind of come in give him time and patience or they'll go down the route of getting a a more win now guy if they go down the project route we'll probably see them struggle maybe get top 4 next year but probably see them just have a learning curve especially if it is motto because like we've said he's only ever man- managed at one end of the table apart from being PSG's under 19s coach like this will be his best ever finishes a manager this season with Bologna 
and he's not even been in charge the whole campaign. Obviously, the credit goes to him for where they finished, but he's he came in September. So if it's him, then you're you're gonna have to be patient. You're gonna have to to give him the time to to implement his plans. He's got a lot of ideas about how football should be played, Mata, and he will demand respect. And he's obviously a former Inter player. He's a former. He's like a very good former player. He's well known. He was at PSG for years as well. So, yeah, I think I would give Napoli the edge, like I said, on on if they got picked apart, I would trust them better to to replace. They've got a plan. Like, even if you look at last year, they lost uh, Koulibaly. They brought in Kim and Jay from Fenerbahce. They obviously lost like an icon and Insigne, and picked up Kavaratskhelia from. Dinamo Tbilisi, obviously in Russia. Um, so yeah, they've they've just been good at Napoli. Have been very good at picking up guys from different places. Like they got Labotka from Celta Vigo after he'd been in uh, Norgeland and Denmark. So I would trust them to kind of pick up these guys that maybe on paper you're like, well, we've not heard of them, we don't know, or like the, maybe the mainstream wouldn't be like, here we go, like Boniface. If you asked most casual watchers of football, they're not going to know who he is, but he's he's probably going to come in and score a bunch of goals. And um, with Awesome Hen, you've probably got four major teams looking for a striker in Chelsea, United, Bayern, and possibly PSG, depending on who the coach there is. So Awesome Hen's the number one guy out there available this summer. So Napoli are going to clean up when it comes to that, they're going to have a lot of money to put into any rebuild. Yeah, I think PSG are definitely looking for a striker because they were looking for a striker last season. It seems like Mbappe does not want to play through the middle. He wants to play on the wing, so he definitely wants someone to play alongside. Um, some more questions. Uh, Rakt Import is, it is poetic that European football will one, have one last Della, Della, Derby Della Martinina that I've just absolutely butchered that, but we'll go with that. Before the San Siro is torn down the following year, we've already been through this, so... Yeah, I don't need to touch that again. Uh, and then just finally, I think this is an interesting question because I can I, we can talk about it in a bit differently. It says, which of the two Milan teams, uh, Rizzo has put, which of the two Milan teams do you think has the best chance of stopping City Real in the semi in the Champions League final? Now, this is a different thing because I feel like we could say which one was is more likely to win the tie in the semi final, which we've already discussed is into. You may think is maybe the favourites for that. But do you think that of those two teams, they would be the best one to deal with the sort of overwhelming force that is Manchester City or Real Madrid? I think when I saw Inter play against Liverpool last season, uh, I mean, I quite liked how Inter played against Liverpool. But I think, I mean, it's a tough question because I think Stefano Pioli is some... The, the, the reason why I, so I'm a massive fan of Stefano Pioli is because of how... He knows the squad has issues and he comes up with these solutions uh, of how to tackle them. And a vast majority of times these issues, uh, these the, his solutions actually quite work out. I mean, he had this issue where Milan's 4-2-3-1 wasn't quite working out. Switched to a 3-5-2 and things turned around and they had a minor blip. But they somehow managed to tide over that problem as well. He's, he's an excellent problem solver. 
and purely for that i mean if you're talking about percentages i'll probably say milan are 20% maybe 5% more likely to beat the finalist whereas inter's probability probably stand at 5% themselves so i think i would say milan are more likely to beat either real madrid or man city but i would still say that inter are more likely to beat milan now that's a completely different jigsaw but that's what i think what what are your thoughts on that I would 100% agree, like, even if you look, I know that form and things have played into it since, but if you look at the two Milan derbies in January, so the one in Saudi Arabia and then the one right after, the league one right after was one of the most one-sided games I've ever seen, like, Inter tore Milan apart, I think it only finished 2-0, but, like, it was probably the turning point for Milan in the sense that after that game, Pioli completely changed how things were done on the pitch. So I think just on the basis of, of like how those two teams match up to get to each other, Inter always look the more comfortable. They always look better. Even in the games they lose, so I, th- I think it was the start of this season, they, they were winning and they got beat 3-2. I think they still were the better pro- team in that game overall, but they just, obviously, things happen. Whereas Milan against City or Real Madrid, I think I would give them the edge because Pioli makes changes tactically to match up with things, to to sort of counter things. He did it well against Napoli, whereas Napoli didn't have... Kvaritskelia didn't have a left-back that was overlapping him or supporting him, so all Milan had to do was double up on Kvaritskelia and sort of nullify that threat. And also there's this underrated thing where Milan just have sort of this, if they come up with Real Madrid, it's not as much, but they just have sort of this Champions League dark magic where that's a club that like things just happen for. Like I would not be surprised if if we had a City-Milan final, I wouldn't be surprised if City put up like 4xG, but they ended up 1-0 to Milan just because it, some teams just have it in Europe and Milan are definitely one of those teams. And I also think, I also think that last season when Inter won the league, oh, sorry, when Milan won the league, I don't think they could have won the league if uh, they hadn't lo- they, if they hadn't beaten Inter because Inter were playing. I mean, Danny mentioned that Inter were creating chance after chance, but still they still managed to lose because of individual errors, and that's when Milan actually went on to win the game, win win the league. Apart from the fact that that uh, Andre Radu mistake against Bologna. I don't think, if not for uh, these habits, Milan, I don't think would have even won the Serie A. So that's why I think uh, Milan have something about them which tells you that they're incredibly versatile as well. Because, I mean, Danny again pointed that out. And I think Napoli actually lost to Milan across um, the last three weeks in completely different ways. Because if you look at the 4-0, Milan were actually pressing high up the pitch with their front three, going man for man. And in the next game, they actually played in a deeper block. And we saw that in the recent draw as well. So that, I think, says a lot about Paoli, where depending on what opponent he comes up against, he can come up with different formations, different styles. He can go with the uh, front foot pressing, with the man marking, or stay deep and make sure you isolate the opposition wingers, which he could well try with someone like Vinicius in a potential Champions League final as well. Yeah, I think the other thing is, is like Milan as a team actually 
comparatively to Inter, I think they actually match up, have actual matchups where I'm like, oh, Milan are actually better here. Like, obviously, Magnan is amazing. He's easily the one of the best keepers in the world. And that he's much better than Edison, I think, in terms of just in terms of being a general keeper. Obviously, Edison has that incredible long ball in him, but I think in terms of his in general game, Magnan's a lot better. And I think in terms of the actual Milan left-hand side versus the City right-hand side, I think... Um, Theo Hernandez and Leal are just going to batter <laughs> are going to make it absolute hell for whoever's playing on that right hand side um, because we don't know how they're going to sell because of injuries I think Milan have a few things that make them incredibly dangerous in a one-off final knockout tie they have a top three keeper in Mike Magnon they have a solid defensive structure and two centre-backs that could well just clear everything for days and, and we saw it against Napoli and Kier and Tomori. Then they have the absolute wild card superstar kind of thing in Liao who will just produce a moment of magic in big moments. And then they have a striker in Giroud who is quite clutch. I was about I was about to say we're gonna say all this and it would just be you know the the person I'll win it from is just Giroud doing the most outlandish shit that you've ever seen in your life. Like it'll just be like it'll be like the most it'll be the most pointless game. Milan would have got a shot off, and then Giroud will be like, "I'm going to backheel volley this from like the 25 yard line." It'll go in, and like you're like, "What just happened? What 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 broken magic happened here?" He even missed the penalty, obviously, the other day, and then I think was it Juno obviously had his his little thing, and he tweeted. Well, what do you expect? He got subbed off in halftime in the World Cup final and then he scored exactly straight after. Giroud will come up somewhere in a final and score a goal. I think I think it was the Van Dyke. Some Van Dyke interview came up the other day and they were talking about Giroud and he said he, he's the hardest guy that you can ever like mark because you know he's there like the entire time. Like I, He knew exactly where he was, but no matter what he did, he'd somehow just find enough space to shoot. And he, and, he, and he said he said it could be the it could be the worst like shooting form you've ever seen in your life, and he'll somehow just get as much power on it as he needs to to put it in. And it's just like he's like I just you can't defend that because it's just impossible. Like you you can get as tight as him impossible. You can think you can mark him out if he just gets enough space that he can just twist his foot into a shot. He can find a way to. Um, but yeah, I think that that's all the questions. Thank you for sending them in, and uh, that, this has been a great chat. Um, thank you for coming on, Costa. It's been a great time talking to you again. If you want. He is the editor-in-chief of Get Italian Football. Put some great stuff out there. And he put some great stuff out on general, so just follow him on Twitter. Great guy. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we get uh, we get going? I'm hoping for a Milan-Real Madrid Champions League final. That's pretty much it. Football heritage reunite. Yes, yes. yes. No, no City. No City. That's, that's fine by me. I can enjoy that final then. I don't have any anxiety of having to... Hope that they don't win the treble and hope that they don't win their first Champions League. <laughs> like, that's just the anxiety is just too much there. I don't want that. And again, I'd like to say thank you to my co host, Danny. Um, anything you want to say, Danny? Uh, no, just thanks to thanks to Kirst yeah. Definitely no City in, in the final, please. <laughs> my, heart, my heart can't take it. I, that Real Madrid semi final where they came back, I don't think I've been more excited for a non United match ever, just in terms of just like actually being on edge um but in general yeah we're hoping for italian team to hopefully win it because uh, obviously it'd be nice for an italian team to get back into there and it's and yeah real madrid are a little bit boring but because they're always winning it 
get a life. <laughs> I don't know what to say there. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> Winning the Champions League constantly. You heard um, it here first. We... Real Madrid, get a life. <laughs> <laughs> the whole club. The whole club. Get a life. Grow up. You've won enough Champions League. Let someone else have it for once. Um, but not say. Uh, yeah, but anyway, again, I've been Casey. This has been the Seriously Good Podcast. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye.